We're going to continue our sermon series called Best Sermon Ever. And as I said last week, not talking about my sermon, any of my sermons, I'm talking about Jesus' sermon. The one that he preached from Matthew chapters 5 through 7 that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And let me challenge you, I meant to say this last week, why don't you sit down sometime this week and just read this sermon in one sitting? That is how it was intended to be heard, to be read, from start to finish. Just as you sit here and you'll listen to my sermon this morning from start to finish, you need to hear Jesus' words in their entirety as recorded for us by the Gospel writer Matthew in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Years ago, Lauren and I attended a youth worker's conference, and we sat in the big convention center in Atlanta as a speaker got up on the stage And he said something to this effect. He said, I've been thinking long and hard about the best words that I could share with you that would bless and benefit your life. And I can't think of any words better than these. And he stood before us and he read the Sermon on the Mount. All of it. From start to finish, from Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 to the end of chapter 7. And then he sat down. And my first thought was, They paid this guy to come down here and to just read out of his Bible. And then I caught myself and I thought, you know, he's right. There are no better words than those of Jesus. Nothing else he could have said from his own heart, from his own mind, would have been better than the very words of Christ. And I was a bit ashamed that I had the first thought. These are the the very best words. And of course, all the words from the Holy Scriptures And I want to remind you again about what this sermon is about. I'm going to remind you every week that we get together and talk about the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon in particular is about living by the rules of God's kingdom in the routine of everyday life. Living by the rules or regulations or expectations of God's kingdom as we go about our normal everyday life. Now once again, as we did last week, I would like to ask you, to stand, and I've got our text up on the screen, and this will be the only slide from our time together this morning. I just want to keep the text before you. We're going to hear it again. We're going to say it. So please, if you would stand, you didn't do that the first time, so I guess I have to ask you again. And let's read this text together as a congregation. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first thing Jesus says in our text is, you are the salt of the earth. Now today, we primarily use salt to enhance the flavor of our food. And that was also true in Jesus' day. But in Jesus' day, it was used first and foremost as a preservative. 
to the days before refrigeration. And so if you wanted to preserve meat, you would use salt. So what is it that Jesus is saying here when He says to those gathered, and we read last week this was the crowd, these were the disciples, these were people who were interested in hearing what Jesus, the Son of God, had to say. And we are gathered here to hear a word from God, to hear from our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. What is it that He's saying, not just to them, but to us? He's saying, without your influence, disciples, followers of me, Christians, without your influence, the world will become increasingly rotten. But you, you, by your witness, you can delay the moral and spiritual decay that is occurring in our broken, sinful, fallen world. And maybe you think about what Jesus means and you, and you say, well, that hasn't worked so well, has it? I mean, just look around at the world. Do you see that we've made a, mark, a markedly a, a difference that is noticeable? I think that we have. I think that we have. When Fred Gray was a young black teenager growing up in Montgomery, Alabama in the 1940s, he was disturbed by the injustices he saw being done to African Americans in his town. So he made a commitment as a young man to become a lawyer so he could fight those injustices. Well, less than six months after passing the Alabama bar exam, he had his first civil rights case. He was defending a 15-year-old girl named Claudette Colvin who refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery bus. Nine months later, he was the defense attorney for another woman who refused to give up her bus seat. I bet you've heard her name, Rosa Parks. Gray fought for the desegregation of the University of Alabama, of Auburn University, and what is now the University of North Alabama by successfully representing black students who wish to enroll at these schools. In fact, lawsuits filed by Gray helped to desegregate more than 100 local school systems in Alabama. He even successfully defended Martin Luther King Jr. in a 1960 case. He litigated many other civil rights cases, some of which reached the United States Supreme Court for rulings. But there's something I haven't told you about Fred Gray. He grew up at the Holt Street Church of Christ in Montgomery. And he later attended the Nashville Christian Institute, which was a boarding school at that time operated by members of Churches of Christ where he was trained to preach by the president of the Nashville Christian Institute, the great Marshall Keeble. When he returned to Montgomery to practice law, he also began preaching for his home church, fulfilling his mother's dream. She always wanted him to become a preacher. And for many years, he served as an elder for a church of Christ in Tuskegee, Alabama, and he continued preaching. In an interview he gave with the Christian Chronicle, he said, Racism is contrary to what Jesus taught. We must do as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus was the reason that Fred Gray did what he did. He took Jesus seriously. When Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. By the way, 
Fred Gray turned 90 this past December, and he still lives in Alabama with his wife of 65 years, Bernice, and he still preaches on occasion. You show me an effort or a movement that has fought for righteousness and justice, a a, a positive, worthwhile social movement, and I'll show you a movement or an effort that was spearheaded by people with faith in Christ done in the name of our Lord. Prison reform, medical care, recovery from alcoholism, abolition of slavery, abolition of child labor, the pro-life movement, establishment of orphanages, advocacy for religious liberty, religious freedom, which is so important in our world today. It's something we should all be concerned about as we see Christians in Africa being persecuted, in prison, even killed for their faith. As we see a preacher in Canada in prison for keeping his church open. All these movements and more. None of these would have happened without people of faith being salt. So salt of the earth Christians have made a difference. And I believe this world would be a far more rotten place without them, but we need them still. We continue to need salt of the earth Christians in our world. Second, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And he mentions two sources of physical light. First, he says, a city on a hill that provides light to a dark countryside. And of course, this was, these were the days before electricity, But even a city with a few oil lamps burning in the windows could light up a countryside. And and you could see it from a distance because it was so dark in those days. And Jesus also mentions an oil lamp placed on a stand that illuminates a house. Jesus says, you shine like that in your good works that show forth the goodness of your Father. And by the way, you don't have to lead a world-changing movement in order to shine your light. God can use your small good works to make a big difference in the lives of people around you. Why? You can pay for someone's meal in a restaurant. You can go to an elderly person's home and perform a basic chore in the house or the yard. You can leave an extra generous tip, say with the sonic waitress that sees you at your next visit. You can deliver a meal or some goodies or even a gift card to someone who's sick or had surgery. You can speak an encouraging word. You can send an encouraging text. You can make an encouraging phone call. Mail an encouraging note. Let me tell you, no one that you encounter this week will be suffering from over-encouragement. You can do all those things. And eventually, let me tell you, as you're shining your light in the community, as you're seeking to live a life full of good deeds, eventually, you'll need to use your words to share about your hope in Christ. You can't just show your neighbors. You've got to tell them eventually. Because with the Word, God created all things. With words, God delivered His law to Israel. With words, He preserved the gospel accounts for our benefit. And with words, we share the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Eventually, we've got to get to a place where we say, let me tell you about the hope that I have 
in Jesus Christ. This is why I'm living this way. This is why I do the things that I do. Shine your light, says Jesus. We need to understand that these verses come on the heels of the final two Beatitudes. The final two Beatitudes, we talked about those last week, but the last two deal with persecution. And I want to go back and share them with you again. Chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. If you have your Bible open, you can follow along with me. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, for righteousness' sake. Not because you're being hard-headed. Not because you're being a, a jerk. That's not a good enough reason to be persecuted. Jesus says, because you're living a life of righteousness. Because you're living a life of faith. Blessed are you, 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, sometimes as we're being salt and light, we'll attract people to our Savior. They will see our good works and they will give, as Jesus says, they will give glory to our Father in heaven. That's what Peter had in mind too in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. And I wonder if as Peter wrote these words, he was thinking about the teaching of his Lord and Savior on this occasion, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Peter, 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable or outsiders or non-believers. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It seems to me Peter is saying, live an upright, holy, righteous life. Be salt, be light. And they might speak evil against you on the front end, but in time, as they see your good deeds, they may come to know your Lord and on the day of visitation when Jesus returns, they will be able to glorify God as those who are saved. So it is sometimes the case that as we live as salt and light in the world, we attract people to our Savior and they come to know Him as their Lord. And they come to saving faith in Christ. But sometimes, sometimes... We will repel people just by virtue of what we believe. Just because of the convictions that we hold in this world, people will be repelled. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, we'll be persecuted and we'll be reviled or hated and people will tell lies about us. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospel of John chapter 15, Verse 18, Jesus warns his followers, he says, listen, if the world hates you, you need to know that it hated me first. It hated me before it hated you. And in our text, or in the Beatitudes that I just read, Jesus says, if they persecute you, you need to know they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So while sometimes your faith, living your faith out loud, being salt and light in the world, that will attract people to, to Jesus, other times it will repel people. What would Jesus say? 
Be salt anyway. Be light anyway and let the chips fall where they may. You just do your job. You just be my witnesses to a lost and dying world. You just keep on shining. Whether it attracts people to Jesus or repels them. There's two things we need to know about salt and light. Number one, they need to be different from the things that they're a part of. Light is most useful in darkness. That's when light is most appreciated. In a very dark place, it's very different than the darkness. And salt is most appreciated in bland food. When you take a bite and it's not very flavorful, but you add that salt and the flavors come alive, it has to be different than the food in order to make a difference in the food. But, and I'm already getting into the second idea here, they need to penetrate their environment or their ingredients in order to make a difference. The light is only useful as it emanates and fills and illuminates a room, a house, a countryside. And the salt is only useful as it preserves or it adds taste to the food that it is used to season. Jesus said, as you know, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And let me, let me share a couple thoughts with you that, that I really want you to remember that are important as we think about living as salt and light. Number one, you got to be different to make a difference. You have to be different to make a difference. And one of the big problems that the church has today is that we have conformed too much to the ways of the world to the point that we can no longer make a difference in the lives of the people around us. We've got to be set apart. We've got to be distinct. People have got to notice something different about us if we want to make a difference. But also, number two, you can't be distant to make a difference. We must be set apart, but we cannot be separate. We cannot be siloed. We cannot be segregated. Yes, we must be different, but we must not be distant. We have to be different, but we have to be embedded, infused into the lives of people around us if we really want to make a difference, if we really want to make an impact on their lives for the cause of Christ, for good. So you got to be different to make a difference, but you can't be distant. You can't be distant to make a difference. The problem for many of us is our salt has lost its saltiness and our light has dimmed. We're either not standing out, we're not as different as we should be, we're not as set apart as we should be, we have conformed to the world instead of allowing Jesus to transform us, or we are set apart but we're segregated and we're separate and we're not going into the world and we've forgotten that our mission is out there and not within these walls. Both must be true in order to make a difference, in order to be salt and light and light. And Jesus says, and we really should notice this in our text, that salt that is no longer salty and light that no longer shines is worthless. Jesus points out the absurdity of lighting a lamp and putting it under a basket. Why in the world would anybody do that? We sing about it in the old children's song. Hide it under a bushel? No! 
Absolutely not. That doesn't make any sense. Light is meant to shine. And Jesus says here, salt that has lost its saltiness, well, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out in the garbage and trampled under people's feet. A believer who is no longer committed to being salt and light. A believer who has abandoned his willingness to witness to the world has lost something fundamental to their essence, to their identity. And they are skating on thin ice. They're in very dangerous territory. So we need to hear Jesus say anew. And you've read these verses countless times. But a lot of times when we read familiar verses that we've heard all our lives, we just gloss over them. We skim through them. Yes, yes, I've heard that. Salt and light, got it. No. We need to stop. We need to read and listen again. We need to hear Jesus say to us, challenge us, step on our toes. You go be salt to a world that is quickly decaying, that is becoming rotten, that is morally and spiritually adrift, you be salt. You go be light to a world that is filled with iniquity and sin and darkness. You shine your light and just a little bit of light, a little bit of light in a really dark place can make a world of difference. A big difference. We need to hear Jesus say, you go live as my Witnesses to the gospel for the sake of the world. You exist for the sake of those out there. The church is the only organism, the only institution that exists for those who are not yet members. We've been called to witness for the sake of our neighbors. Those in our own community who are lost. It strikes me that here Jesus says, you are. You are the salt. You are the light, not you ought to be. One of my favorite things that I get to do as a preacher, as a minister, is perform weddings. Being a preacher is a challenging job in many ways, but it's a privilege to get to be with people in some of the most important moments of their lives. To be there when somebody's baptized into Christ. What a privilege to be there when somebody's being buried, when a family is saying goodbye to a loved one. Sad, but an honor. And to be there to stand with a couple on their wedding day as they exchange vows, as they say, I do. What's amazing about weddings is that one moment the couple is not man and wife, and the next moment they are. You know, it kind of makes me feel a little powerful, honestly. And I even say, I make a point of saying, by the power vested in me, by the state of Tennessee, according to the law, you know, all that. That's not the point of this. I just, I couldn't help but saying that. There, I, I, it's amazing to be there in that moment when one second, they're not husband and wife, and the next second they are. And you know what I say? You are now 
husband and wife. You are now Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. You may kiss your bride, your wife. But what does that couple know about being married? (laughs) What did you know about being married when you got married? What did you know about being a husband? What did you know about being a wife? Very little. But in that moment, you are. And you spend the rest of your life learning what it means to be a loving, patient, godly husband or wife. Jesus here says, early on in his ministry, to those gathered around him, to his disciples, and he says to us, you are salt. And you are light. Now go act like it. And we'll be learning for the remainder of our days what that means to be salt and light. The question is, are we committed to learning what that means? To learning what it means to be salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I want you to ask yourself, how can I be salt this week? And how can I be light? And for some of you, that probably means... Before you ask those questions, how can I come to be how can I come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? How can I become a Christian? I know we have some this morning who haven't confessed faith in Christ, who haven't repented of their sins, who haven't been baptized into his name, and we want to invite you right now to to come and to be welcomed into God's family, into the church. Or if there's anybody who is struggling today and you need the prayers of this body of believers, we would be honored to pray with you, to pray for you for whatever spiritual need that you may have. We want to sing a song that we call the song of encouragement, the song of invitation. It is meant to encourage you, to invite you to come and to make things right with your Lord and to enter into a saving relationship with Him through your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can do that right now as we stand and sing.